Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace, yours. Here, our waters are splashing and rejuvenating. Our history is for seeing and experiencing. Our theme parks are for riding and sometimes flying. And our great outdoors are yours for exploring and restoring. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Betterment customers believe technology can improve their daily lives. Use Uber, Netflix, and Amazon. Betterment customers are just like you. Betterment aims to make it straightforward. Create an account, tell them your financial situation, and their advice platform will build you a personalized portfolio for your goals and desired levels of risk. Like, for instance, overthrowing the patriarchy. For each goal, retirement, house down payment, overthrowing the patriarchy, you set, you determine how aggressive or conservative you'd like to be. Based on this information, we'll take care of the underlying investments and can implement tax-saving strategies. What if you currently have a financial advisor or want more confidence that you're doing the right thing? Well, Betterment has a team of certified financial planners and licensed financial experts in-house ready to discuss your unique situation when you need them. And another nice thing about Betterment, Betterment has tools and calculators that give you an idea of what your investment strategy could look like. There is always risk in investing. However, with Betterment, we help you avoid the emotion and sales tactics that often plague the financial industry. Investment involves risk. But for a limited time, listeners can get one month managed for free. For information, visit Betterment.com slash with friends. Again, that's Betterment.com slash with friends. Betterment, investing made better. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox. Welcome to With Friends Like These, a product of the Crooked Media Company. Uh, it is Friday, and it is a regularly scheduled episode of Crooked Friends. We had a bonus episode drop earlier in the week with my friend Jason Lincolns. I encourage you to check that out. And also, uh, welcome to those people who might have discovered us last week uh, with this crossover episode I did with John Moe. That uh, has turned out to be a very... Um, prolific episode in terms of the feedback we're getting. I want to thank everybody who's written in. I have not been able to get back to everybody, but I will give it a shot. This week, we are kind of back to some regularly scheduled stuff, um, more traditionally awkward uh, and uncomfortable conversations and differences. Uh, In the second part of the show, I talked to Brandy Jensen about Ivanka. Uh, It's sort of a very literal with friends like these in terms of with friends like Ivanka, do feminists need enemies? Uh, that is a fun conversation. There's a lot of Ivanka stuff coming out. We we shoot through a bunch of it. And then up first, Ben Howe. Ben Howe uh, is a never-Trumper from early days. He is a uh, contributor at Red State. He has a book coming out called The Immoral Majority, which it sounds like it's going to be a continuation of some of the conversations that we had today, um, which is about his departure from the conservative movement and what we as liberals might have to learn from the Tea Party's successes and their mistakes. 
Welcome to the show, Ben Howe, senior contributor for Red State and author of an upcoming book, which I guess we're going to have to talk about, called The Immoral Majority. How are you, Ben? That's right. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Well, I, you know, I've I've wanted to talk to you. Now I realize it's it's almost exactly a year <laughs> that I've yeah. been wanting to talk to you. That's right. I don't. I, I think that you and I have been uh, communicating for a long time. Yes. Yes. Uh, and I should. I've, I've, of course, I, I've I've always enjoyed our exchanges. But what got my attention, and I guess a lot of people's attention, was almost exactly a year ago. You wrote a piece for Red State. Um, you know, uh, well, why don't you you tell me about the piece you wrote for for Red State, uh, which was entitled? Sure. I think this the the people can probably get the idea of it. Um, I lied to myself for years about who my allies were. No more. Right. Well, basically, uh, I had reached sort of a tipping point because I mean, primarily because of the nomination of Donald Trump. Um. There's, I think people have the ability to look past a lot and lie to themselves a lot in order to keep moving forward in what they think is overall the right thing. And that's what I was doing for a long time. So I had a lot of things I believed with the conservative movement and with the Republican Party, but I had to look past certain things and red flags uh, in order to keep on that track. But once it all exploded in my face, because people were actually actively supporting a man that I thought was not only the antithesis of everything that I've been fighting for, but was just generally a crappy person. (laughs) Uh, I I started to observe, okay, well, who is it that's out there really hardcore supporting this guy? And I came to the sad conclusion that these were all, like, to the man. It was every person that I had thought— wow, that person's got a little bit of a different view on things than I do. They were the ones out there supporting him. And all the pundits that I had looked at and said, sometimes I really hate what Ann Coulter says. Sometimes I really hate what Laura Ingram says. And, oh, what do you know? They happen to be Trump supporters. So the piece was generally me saying, I should not have taken part in excusing bad behaviors, despite what I thought I was doing right, it's irrelevant because what I did really was I helped elevate all of these bad people and then ultimately a really bad guy who was running for president and was probably going to win and then turned out did win. And I want to kind of separate our conversation to two things. I mean, it may seem weird to people that we're talking about a piece that was written a year ago. So I, I definitely want to talk about actually what's happened for you in the aftermath of that piece. Sure. But yeah. first, I feel like I need to point out that what made your piece different for me from a lot of other, you know, never Trump screeds. And, and, you know, there are a lot of really good ones written. And as someone who's opposed to Trump, I felt a lot of, you know, righteous indignation um, mm-hmm. feels awesome, you know, like when you're mm-hmm. reading someone who you sort of disagree with, come to your side. And like, I think a lot of liberals <laughs> kind of felt that way. Like, yeah, you know, even sure. this guy realizes it. But right. w- what I thought was interesting about your piece was that it wasn't Like you said, it wasn't just a denunciation of Trump. It was something about Trump that made you rethink your allies in general. Like the way that I'd been describing your piece, which is not a – it's not an exact quote from – but I I believe I am – I get your gist is that you had – you know, you were were, uh, sort of coming to grips with the fact that you had allowed yourself 
with like racists and um, yes. greed heads because you agreed with each other on marginal tax rates. Right. Because there's this thing, and I think that everybody to some degree does this, and I was definitely doing it, which is we use this word fringe at different times and in different ways. And sometimes you use fringe to excuse things that are uncomfortable. So for me, you, I would use the word fringe to describe uncomfortable allies. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you know, so-and-so is just part of the fringe. Those guys are fringe. It's not representative and so on and so forth. And that's hard to continue to do once the fringe, uh, and I just literally did air quotes, by the way, because I can't see them. <laughs> um, but what, you, you, you can't still call them the fringe if they basically take over one of the two major political parties and have a chance at sitting in the White House. They're not fringe anymore. And my most of what I was writing about during that time period, and I would say in a lot of ways have continued to write, it, that this was a moment where conservatives and, and uh, Republicans, to a lesser degree, but conservatives mostly, had to decide who they are. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them did decide. A lot of them decided that if four out of 10 objectives can be hit, or even if six out of 10 objectives can be hit, and even if they're hitting those by allying themselves with unsavory, horrible people, hey, at least the things they wanted happened. And I think that that's, you know, in terms of American politics and governance and everything that's gone wrong in in, in the country over the last hundred years, it's always that short-term thinking that's taking hold. And now it's gotten to a point where people are willing to work with trash in order to achieve their short-term objectives. And I'm just not. And that's where we get into sort of the second part of what I want to talk to you about, which is um, the aftermath of this piece. Mm -hmm. Uh, To contextualize, uh, you know, at the time you wrote this piece, uh, you have a consulting business. uh, You Mm -hmm. used to work for the Heritage Foundation, which is, uh, you know, one of the flagship think tanks Mm -hmm. on the right. Um, Mm -hmm. Contributor at Red State. uh, Mm -hmm. Man about town in D.C. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) They throw parties in my honor all the time. Yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, What what was the reaction uh, to this piece for you? Well, it's interesting because at at first, um, I think that people, a lot of people, intellectually aligned with what I was saying. Uh, and that's when, to me, that's when it's easy to agree with what I was saying for a conservative, um, because there's still options. He wasn't the nominee yet. There was this, uh, you know, free the delegates effort that was happening. There was a lot of unrest in the party. It didn't seem like Paul Ryan perhaps was even going to sign on. Uh, Ryan seemed like he was polishing off a fifth of vodka every night. Like, it just seemed like it was a bad... <laughs> he actually was pouring Baileys on his Wheaties or whatever it is that right, he said. Right, yeah. exactly. And so I think that to some extent, there was there was a lot of uh, mixed support. You know, I think the only thing that people really never had any patience for was that I said I would prefer Hillary over Trump. That Nobody mm-hmm. seemed to have much patience for that. But once he became the nominee it changed pretty dramatically and pretty quickly. Mm. And it became, it no longer became that I had a actual principled position. It was now that I was, had sour grapes and that I was 
being stubborn and all these other stuff. And my, you know, my reply at the time was, you know, this is exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, basically what you're saying is your principles last all the way up until the point where you're worried about your party, which means you're by definition, putting your party above your principles, which was the entire objection to Trump in the first place. Mm -hmm. So are you saying you wanted uh, principles over party until what the party was in danger and then suddenly it switches back? Uh, so there was a lot of um, pushback on me at that time. And I would say since then, you know, not, I'm not trying to sound like a victim. I, I'm, I'm doing fine. <laughs> well, that would but... be that, that would that would complete your evolution to a social justice <laughs> warrior if you right. sounded like a victim. Right. So, well, and, and like, but but yes, there are there are doors and communications and friends and allies and people who even were against Trump earlier on who now I'm something different to them. Mm-hmm. And I can live with that. I'd, I'd rather be something different and look at myself in the mirror and be okay with it. You know, they come to me every time something happens that they know I'll agree with because I never stopped being a conservative. So they'll come to me with something that Trump's done or some policy that's happened or some cabinet position that I might like. Oh, don't you see now? You know, can't you see how this is great? Mm-hmm. And I just want to smack them, you know, <laughs> uh, because what? what is, how many times have had people said Gorsuch to you? Like, is that like, I mean, that's pretty much like a, it's its its own language now is just people saying Gorsuch over and over. Gorsuch, 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 Gorsuch. It's like um, the princess kitty cat, you know, in Mr. Rogers, yeah. like meow, 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 meow. Right. It is. Gorsuch, Gorsuch. And, and and they say that they either say that or they say, oh, because Hillary would have been better. That's their other response. Oh, because Hillary would have been better. And I, I, I usually say something along the lines of, you know, I don't expect you to be my fan, but if you're going to criticize me, can you at least read what I wrote? I mean, mm. I, I think I pretty much established that I understood from the beginning that Trump would do things that I liked, mm. that it had nothing to do with whether or not he's a complete scumbag, which I think he is. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they, they want me to change my mind on it. Like, see, this proves he's a good person. How did that prove he's a good person? It doesn't. He's he's doing things on the advice of counsel and on the advice of, you know, people around him. But if 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 we get a great Supreme Court nominee, how much is that going to matter when we're entangled in Syria and starting a war with North Korea and having an administration that's uh, in a web of deceit with Russia? Yeah. You know, which is something that I do believe. And. The the answer is usually yeah, but Gorsuch. <laughs> but Gorsuch, that's going to be like the new but her emails is like you know that you know that meme that's like oh, the ha- underwater sign, but at the top of it it says but emails. I think they should do a new one that says but Gorsuch. Exactly. What aboutism has taken over all political discourse? You know what aboutism, which is just people constantly, no matter what is happening. They say, yeah, well, what about when, well, what about when Obama, well, what about when, I'm like, you know what, he's the president, okay? I don't care about Hillary's emails anymore. I don't care about what Obama did anymore. If you want to critique the media, that's fine. Write a criticism of the media and talk about an uh, unfair coverage. I can live with that, you know, I'm sure that that's something worth talking about, but it's not worth talking about in the context of trying to figure out if there's something to be concerned about, about this president. 
I think it's so interesting. You've you've drilled into something that I think we seek to explore on this podcast, which is how much it matters whether or not someone is – I almost hate to use the term good person because that to me – you can excuse a lot by saying, but they're a good person, you know, like <laughs> – and when they hold views or hold or back positions that I, that are abhorrent, but you say, but they're a good person. So I kind of want to drill down on what what we're really talking about here, because like I get like I feel like sometimes people, you know, defend Ivanka as sort of but she's a good person. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't care whether or not she's a good person. I'm not sure if she is number one and number two. I feel like her positions are more important. But you're talking about something really interesting here, which is that, you know, Trump is a problem uh, not because of specific policy positions, although those are problems, too. It For you, it's that he's a he's like, you know, well, I right. would I have what I would say about him. I don't know how you want to describe him. <laughs> well, I made a film called The Sociopath. Right. OK. Movie. Yes. Right. He's a venal <laughs> sociopath, uh, you know, maniac. Um, yeah. And that's the problem. It's not the specific positions that he holds. It's that no, it's not. And 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 look, you know, I, I've seen people do that a lot. So and so is a good person. What's interesting is nobody ever says that about Trump. His supporters. <laughs> like it, 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 like his supporters will, will, will like, ah, oh, man, Trump's the best. You know what they never say? Trump's a good person. Yeah. Like <laughs> this just never even comes up. But uh, no, I don't think. See, I've never been a person that subscribes to the idea that you have to be a good person to be uh, a good politician, because the people really or a worthy politician, gonna, right? Like, or someone that you would vote for. Right. You don't have to be good. I was going to. Hey, I voted for Hillary. I don't. I'm not. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> I'm not sure how good a person she is. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and and I, I think um, you know this might be. Um, um, the first time that Milton Friedman's been been quoted on here, but uh, he said that it's great to to elect good people, but that the real way to make change is to make it politically profitable to do the right thing mm. to get to get because then a bad person even will do the right thing if you think it's going to politically be profitable to him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to some degree, that's been my mantra. I've just been like, well, yeah, I think this person's probably not somebody I'd want to hang out with, but I think that we can get them to do what we need. The problem with Trump is he's a maniac. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think that he is bound by things like what makes sense. I think that, uh, you know, we're, we're lucky if we've got good people around him that will um, continually barrage him with what the right thing to do is. That would be a good thing. But he doesn't have that. He's got mm-hmm. Steve Bannon you know, in his ear. And so it's not that I don't think that there's any chance that even though he's a scumbag, he couldn't be controlled. Sure. That's possible, but not the way things are lining up because the way things are lining up is the Republican party is just suddenly acting like he's the greatest thing since Reagan Mm. and that he's this ideologue and he's none of those things. He's none of those things. He's He's easily influenced by what he perceives in a particular moment to be popular, and he mostly acts on what the last thing somebody said to him. I know. And just out of personal pique, I mean, he really is a fucking toddler. Like, I, it's just yeah. an insult to, insult to toddlers to call him a toddler, but I can't, it's, it's having, 
it's almost the only thing I can use to describe him, though. He's just poor impulse control and selfish. He has like he has the ego and emotional range of a of a very small person. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, the amount of, of the amount of tweets alone of him going after people that wrote like I mean, he would go after somebody who wrote a negative blog on hellokitty.blogspot.com yeah. if he came across it. <laughs> he'd put them on blast. He would. You know. And by the same and, token, his 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 uh staff would take a positive post from hello kitty uh dot blogspot dot com and put it in his yes. morning reads if they and and he, and he oh, would yes. he would be flattered by it, you know? Like he's but, but the real danger with Trump is for a lot, he's always been that way. Yeah. Like, that's one of the things that amazes me is people go, oh, he's going to change. He's always been yeah. this way. He's always been this way. I, okay. And so what's amazing, what's different now is, okay, so three years ago, uh, he would have gone after somebody who wrote that at hellokitty.blogspot.com, but nobody would have backed him up. Now he's got an entire party that's like, well, no, seriously, the problem with America is hellokitty.blogspot.com. Like, they'll, they'll run a whole campaign against that. It's fake news. Hellokitty.blogspot.com is fake news. That's what <laughs> right. I have to say. That is the <laughs> most pressing matter in American politics right now is hellokitty.blogspot.com. Who leaked? Who leaked to Hello Kitty? Um, so I actually want to want to roll back just a little bit here because, again, like, I think one of the things that really struck me about your, your, your essay of a year ago – and something that I, I continue to hear from you is actually that it's not just about Trump, though, right? That it's no. about the party and the movement that created the conditions for Trump. Because I, I, I'm interested – like I talked to a Greg Doucette a while ago, and I think you and he and actually my husband have this in common. You know, stop me if I'm wrong, but it's that, you know, all three of you – like, I mean, I think I would say generously, none of you fit the typical Republican profile. Um, but considered my like my husband sort of, you know, he's like, yeah, OK, I'm a I'm a I'm a social liberal conservative, you know, fiscally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think do set more of a libertarian, whatever you can describe yourself. But what happened with all three of you was that Trump happened and it didn't it wasn't just that you had a problem with Trump. It's that it forced you to reconsider your relationship to this whole movement. Which uh, it, I, I think, and I think it, that's different than what's happened for a lot of never Trumpers. You know, like I think because yes, a lot of never Trumpers are still uh, they're still applying kind of the old rules to the conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're still saying, uh, yeah, but you got to support the nominee, or they're you know, well, you got to, uh, and if they if they even if they had never supported the nominee once he was president, well, you got to support the president, and then when he does good things, you know, hey, you got to support what's good and hold accountable what's bad, and I'm like, you know. That's true. Like, it's fine to acknowledge that something you like happened. Okay? That's mm-hmm. great. I don't think, I, personally, I don't feel like you had some, you know, intense obligation to make sure to personally thank Lord Trump for it. But <laughs> uh, I, I, I get what they're saying in that regard. But for me, uh, the entire apparatus, party apparatus, of which I'm no longer a part of, um, and the conservative movement at large, sort of the professional conservatives, they are the ones that I hold to a much higher standard than I even do Trump at this point, because I don't think Trump exists without them. Mm-hmm. And I think that people were looking for leadership, thought leaders, to tell them, uh, you know, fill in the blanks for them. 
and say, here's all the things you should be concerned about. And here's what you should be considering and so on and so forth. And instead, they just sort of towed this party line, which means it's really about winning elections. And beyond winning and being in power, everything else is negotiable and optional. Um, and people who for years in the Tea Party and elsewhere railed on that very concept are cheerleading it now. And so to me, it's just, and, and I know it's judgmental and all this other stuff. It just, to me, means they're, not good, they're just not good people. Mm. And I don't want to be part of a movement that's full of bad people. Mm. All right, we're going to take a short break. Um, and then I want to continue the conversation uh, here with Ben Howe. We'll be right back. You're listening to With Friends Like These with Anna Marie Cox. Sending flowers has always been the best way to show someone you care. I was actually visiting my in-laws over the weekend, and as we were leaving, my mother-in-law said, I know Mother's Day is coming up, but don't worry about sending flowers. I know you guys love me. And I turned around and said, Pat, you want some flowers. And she then blushed and said, well, actually, yes, I would like some flowers. So you know what? I did buy her some flowers. If she's listening to the show now, spoiler alert, Pat, you have got some books flowers coming your way. And books, you know, the thing about books is that it's actually transparent pricing, which it's the first time I ever used them. And it's amazing. Like they say what it's going to cost and it costs that. There's no like add-on fees for delivery and whatnot. Like uh, other places I could name say, you know, dozen roses, $19.99. And then when you actually check on it to get the roses that are advertised, it's going to cost almost $100. There are hidden fees and you have a big bill and even bigger disappointment when your flowers show up looking different than the pictures. Books.com is a better way to buy flowers. The Books company offers fully transparent pricing, like I said, an easy, affordable shopping experience, an incredible curated selection of flowers starting at $40 with free weekday delivery. Each book is sustainably farmed and comes straight from grower to customer, meaning your flowers last longer and cost less to buy. Need something last minute? We do offer products with next day and same day delivery. This year, show every mom in your life that you care with flowers from the Books company. And a special offer for my listeners, which I actually personally took advantage of, order now and get 20% off with the code FRIENDS. Visit books.com and enter the code FRIENDS for 20% off your Mother's Day purchase. That's B-O-U-Q-S dot com, code FRIENDS. And by the magic of podcasting, we're right back. So you're just talking about the Tea Party and and how, you know, Trump's rise and eventual <laughs> victory, you know, kind of made you reconsider um, the movement and whether or not you wanted to be associated with it and how the tea par- for the Tea Party and, you know, the conservative movement, winning became the only thing and they made moral compromises and worked with bad people in order mm-hmm. to win. Now, I am thinking of the left because uh, there's been a lot of... Uh, self-congratulation that we are now the new tea party right right? like that woohoo like we're taking their tactics and sticking it to them and you know rowdy town halls and i want to say like i am pro rowdy town hall i was pro rowdy town hall when the tea party did it i like i like rowdy town halls just on principle you know like Mm -hmm. i like people going and telling their elected representatives what they think and what they feel and i feel that they should do that with whatever range of passion they have right Mm -hmm. um but we're also kind of now having a little bit of a conversation about how important winning is and who yeah. we should make our allies with. Do you think that, that that side of the Tea Party experience has anything to teach the left? Oh, <laughs> I think that 
that the left is, and I, I've actually sort of been asked this question on a couple of different places, um, because I, I think that some on the left, like you just verbalized, are cautious as you see it unfolding, mm-hmm. um, because it sort of looks like you, you want to step back and go, hey, you know, they just did that, and the end result was Trump, right? Like, mm-hmm. this just <laughs> happened. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, you know, my warning has been, and I have continued to offer this warning. Um, wh- okay, so when the Tea Party started, I know that there's a lot of controversy uh, uh, between people on the left and the right about what it was when it started. So I'm only going to be telling you what it was to me when it started which was basically a libertarian movement. Yeah, I I think Uh, that's true. We didn't even, like, people would bring up social issues back then, like back in 2009. People would literally say, stop it. We're not here to talk about that. We're not here to talk about immigration. We're not here to talk about gay marriage. We're not here to talk about abortion. We would send people out that had abortion signs. We'd be like, get out of here. That's not what this is, and you are making it that. Because what we were interested in was just fiscal issues. That was it. Mm. And, but at the same time, you know, all of these people have these different social values, and they are divisive. And as I'm sure you know, uh, bad players know how to capitalize on that, and they did. They swooped in. They started, you know, ringing the bell on, on issues that they – pretty much knew we're going to divide people even within the Tea Party and start redefining what the Tea Party is. Because, you know, doing that is is an easy way to send out mailers and say, you know, send us money so that we can fight the abortionists Mm -hmm. instead of keeping Tea Party on what it was. And it it helped uh, elevate the birther movement, which ultimately helped elevate the Trump movement. So my warning to the left is don't be proud of a leaderless movement. Okay. Mm. Like they, we, we would brag about it. You know, there is no leader. We're all the leaders. That's a bad idea. (laughs) We should be waving those Soros checks around. We got a leader. Right. Here he is. Right. You know, it's fine for that leader to rise up naturally and organically. I think that's a good thing. But we were flat out rejecting the idea of leader of, of you know, what central leadership? What is this? The federal government? Like people would get all <laughs> puffy about it. And now I look back and I'm like, you know, we probably could have used somebody that could eloquently define what we're talking about. Same way Obama had just done uh-huh. um, the same way for conservatives that Reagan had done. You know, these are the great movement leaders were, were throughout history. They they speak for a movement, and we didn't have that. And as a result, we had a hundred thousand leaders. And then you and, became ripe for the picking, right? I mean, then then yeah. it became easy for for people like Heritage Foundation, people institutions well, like uh, Heritage Foundation, like Jim DeMint, Trump, like Trump. Did it. Yeah, he became that leader. Yeah. And so, I, you know, y'all y'all are going to end up with. You know, President Simon Cowell, if y'all know. <laughs> <laughs> Oprah. Know. All right, I guess, well, not him. But. Oprah, probably. Um, <laughs> Oprah, there you go. Although, I mean, well, part of me wants to argue back, and because I, I think there is some something to this, which is that 
the fundamental values of a movement um, matter mm-hmm. too, right? Sure. That it would be hard for the left to create our version of Trump because, and I, I say this as a leftist because, you know, and, and I, I, but I do believe this, which is that I think the value system that we're working with would not put a person like Trump in charge. Now, that's not to say that anyone we, that's not to say that it's perfect, mm-hmm. but. I have two pushbacks. Okay. The first is you have a faith in humanity that I have lost. <laughs> okay. <laughs> one, one of the things that I said. True fact, people, yes. Uh, if you underestimated Trump, I was like, no, I underestimated you. Yeah, yeah. It was the people that I underestimated. So yeah. that's the first thing is definitely I don't have that much faith in humanity anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing is it's it's not always about, to me, whether or not Trump's values His values happened to be scummy, okay? But that's not the entirety of what made him dangerous. What makes him dangerous is that he's not, he's plastic. He's not real. He has no core ideology. He has no specific, uh, you know, agenda other than self-service. Right. I was going to say, like, what makes him dangerous is that he's, that he does have one value, which is is himself. himself. That's what makes him dangerous. Right. It's not and, that he's plastic so, even. If he was totally plastic, that, that would well that would make him a sociopath still, but it yeah. w- would be it, it would be just a different kind of problem. Like the problem here isn't that he's not uh, he's unpredictable or totally plastic. The problem is that he's actually pretty fucking predictable because he has one yes, value. All you have to do is figure out what's going to benefit him or what can he perceive will benefit him yeah. or is somebody smarter than him going to be able to make the case that it benefits him and then he'll do it. Yeah. If Vladimir Putin sat down with Donald Trump for an hour and convinced him it was absolutely in his best interests to let the United States just join the Russian empire, he would be coming back to America to make the case. That's this is why I still have hope for single payer. Like, just right. get, just get <laughs> b- Bernie I, in a I room would. with Trump, and I think— <laughs> I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you at all. And it's one of the reasons, you know, really uh, a side note here, what you mentioned about Ivanka. Yeah. That's another thing that I've been warning people about is— I really think that the left should reconsider how they interact with Ivanka Mm. because again, it doesn't matter that much whether or not you really like her as a person. The difference between Ivanka and Trump is that I think she does have some particular, probably center left points of view. Mm. And she is, I think out of everybody in the world, the most likely to be able to convince her dad of anything. He clearly, of of all of his faults, the one thing that I will say is, and even though sometimes the words he uses concern me, (laughs) he loves his dog. Oh boy, does he love her. Like, like which which different Greek word for love is it? That is the question. (laughs) I mean, he does. (laughs) And I think that she's the primary reason that Corey Lewandowski was gone. I think that uh, she had a lot to do with why Paul Manafort was gone. And I think that right now she's backing off on Bannon, but I find it so hard to believe that Ivanka wakes up every day and then thinks, thank God Bannon's there. Well, what do you think about how the left should interact with her? Because, like, I'll tell you, like, I don't know. I don't I don't trust her. Like, I don't think I I think that she has sort of these vague center left. Actually, the next segment in the show is about Ivanka. So spoiler alert. (laughs) Um, But uh, she may have these like very maybe even intentionally vague center left values but they're bullshit. I mean, she doesn't she's a Trump first. 
I mean, I think oh, that she's definitely a Trump first. She's I think her center left values are so are just because that's what the socially acceptable move is in her um, milieu, right? Like, I think oh, you yeah. you put I her mean, in the I, White House I long enough, she'll change. I think she's vague about her uh, positions. Actually, I think she's vague about her positions because they are center left. I think she's vague about them because they're vague. I think <laughs> <laughs> they they might be vague, but there's to me. She's more like, uh, you know, Jamie Lannister <laughs> wanting to defend his family name, even though he has Careful. a serious problem with him, you know? And, uh, you know, so to me, it's like she's trying to defend her family name or whatever. Yeah. I think that's her obligation. Uh, it's not because I think she's this great person. I think she's a conflicted person. But really, the key for me is whether or not she's a good or a bad person. I don't think anybody on earth has more influence over Donald Trump than Ivanka Trump. And if you already know that that person, at the very least, has some vague center-left ideas, that's who you should be focused on, is, is sitting down with her. Should we be nice to her, and then? Is that what you're saying? We should, like, we should... I think to some degree you should be nice to her. Because the other, <laughs> the, other of, the other fact of the matter is that people are influenced, whether or not they like to admit it or not, but especially people in her position, they are influenced by wanting to be liked in circles that they mm. were previously liked. Mm. And Donald Trump used to go on every movie and television show in humanity and nobody in Hollywood really, they, they thought he was an idiot, but they didn't care. They had a Comedy Central roast of him. He was part of the culture, you know, and I think Ivanka enjoyed the fruits of that. And she got to go to the big parties and she got to be invited to things. and She got to be, get her ass kissed. Mm. She's not getting that anymore. So no, no, no. whether or not you're appealing to her vague center left ideology or you're appealing to her need to be accepted among the elite, no matter what, there's a good chance you could influence her to influence him. Yeah, I think that I, I, it's, a, it's a matter of trade offs, because I think what you'd have to compromise in order to influence her, I'm not sure if it's worth it, because also I'll tell you what else, like, y- you know, who's going to be rushing to to bow down before her and make her feel special is the center right. Um, yes. Yes. And they're going to have a much easier time of it um, than well, the and, and that's you know one of the things that I will not know you know to to, to get back to because I, I I sidetracked I didn't mean to do that but, but, we both did but uh, I want to get back to the, uh, the 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 question of the Tea Party and the example they set um, what's what I think that you have to be careful about is realizing which I have realized over the last couple of years that. Uh, Yes, people want to be led, but man, people want to be led. And if somebody if somebody steps into the position and they are loud enough and they are big enough and they have enough resources to make them themselves larger than life, uh, people get devoted. And then it is almost impossible to shake their view of this person they've become devoted to. Mm. And I don't know if this is like an overall human trait. I don't know what it is, but there, there's a lot of this sort of cultist mentality that happens. I know that on the left, you guys felt it a little bit with the Bernie bros. <laughs> and I, I know that on the right, we had felt it, uh, you know, at various times when we would have arguments, but never as much as when we saw with Trump. And so somebody could, if you don't have a leader that is really defining what the movement stands for, and then some and you're careful about who the leader is. I mean, that's, I think, actually, I think, actually, if I can just refine your point a little bit about, I mean, being careful about being a leaderless movement. I think what happens if you if you don't 
if you consider yourself leaderless, then your leader will be chosen for you. Whereas yes. what you need to do is choose your leader, you know? Yes. And I do would say like that's the difference with Bernie and Trump is I actually think that the left did the, – the non-center left, the left left did choose mm-hmm. him, you know? And yes. and unfortunately, that just didn't work out. The center left felt otherwise. But <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think there's questions about the you know, y'all have your own establishment issues. Yes, for sure. yes, yes. And I think that that played a huge role in how things ended up, how they played out. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think just sorry to use Game of Thrones again, but yeah, you're going to end up with Cersei Lannister if nobody's on the throne. So. Uh, yeah, but, uh, no, I think, you know, I love the Game of Thrones references. I think um, with Trump and Ivanka, it's especially we got a House of Lannister thing going on for sure. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a good all, point. Yeah, that's, that's, a good point. that's just the way it looks from the outside. Um, right. No, I, I, I mean, look, she uh, I, I made the joke and I got a little bit of trouble for it online because I said, uh, of course, she has an office. In the in the White House, uh, that's he wanted her to be the first lady. Well, I I don't. I mean, you may get in trouble for that, but we can like take all of the innuendo out of that, and it's just still the yeah. truth. I mean, like we, we can be we can revert to kind of like decorum here, and just say no, she's definitely the first lady. I mean, like oh, absolutely, she is, yeah. and I think Jared is just her proxy. I don't, I don't, I don't think Jared goes out and and, and uh, I don't think Jared meets up with Ivanka, talks about what is going to happen. And then Ivanka disagrees and Jared goes, well, I'm sorry. I know what's best. I just don't think that's what happens. I mean, he's the, he's the person who came into the family. Yep. So he's, he's subservient to the family and she above everyone except Trump represents the family. Yeah. Although it's interesting, you know, I mean, I feel people, I think underestimate even Trump's uh, capacity for selfishness when it comes to his family. Like he's cut off family before. You know. Oh, absolutely. Like he, in fact, I think Ivanka is the only one he wouldn't. I think he cut off his sons. Oh, in a minute, uh, like, in a heartbeat. Absolutely, I think. I he mean, would. and I think Ivanka could. I mean, honestly, like maybe even Ivanka. He's divorced his wives. I mean, like sure. <laughs> the guys. I don't know. She's the only one that I've ever seen. Like he's so like that's his most prized yeah. possession. It. Oh, and it is a possession. Opinion. I think. I think so. Um, yes. Well, it is a possession for sure. It is. <laughs> um, now we're kind of getting into uh, Lord of the Rings kind of territory. Yeah, the innuendo stuff. Yes. Yeah. You're listening to With Friends Like These with Anna Marie Cox. What keeps you up? Uh, me, state of the world, um, state of my pores, um, state of the country. Uh, state of um, the scale. Uh, what helps me fall asleep? Uh, you know, the company I keep in my bedroom, my husband, my cats, and of course, super comfortable sheets. Parachute sheets, in fact. Uh, they sent me a pair and you've heard me talk about them before. My husband loves them. Um, it's one of the things we agree upon now. Um, still disagree about some stuff, including politics, but we agree about these sheets. They are the softest, comfiest sheets you will ever own. And they last, they last and last. The bedding is premium quality. So it only gets softer with time. I actually had this happen. Um, just put them through the wash a few times and they do get softer. And they're made using the finest fabrics and materials in European regions world-renowned for manufacturing. 
Their beautiful design is clean and modern. The natural color palettes are inspired by Parachute's Venice Beach headquarters. And Parachute's direct-to-consumer business model passes savings on to consumers. There are no fire sales, no President's Day sales, no hidden fees. Visit ParachuteHome.com slash friends for free shipping and returns with a 60-night trial. If you don't love them, just send them back. No questions asked. That's ParachuteHome.com slash friends for free shipping and returns. And returns are donated to Habitat for Humanity. Visit ParachuteHome.com slash friends for free shipping and returns with a 60-night trial. You know, Ben, I, I really appreciate talking to you. I, we, we're going to have to close this off. I, I, I have more questions. Um, okay. But we're going to maybe... I'm sorry. You know, I, I, like, I, I took us off on the Ivanka stuff, but like, I, I really think that all, all of it is so intertwined. It is. Uh, in y'all's efforts. Oh, it, it is. And, it, and I'm also thinking a lot about, you know, we didn't really get to the end of the conversation about could the left produce a Trump. Um, which I think may be an interesting one to continue to have. You know, before we go, though, I can't let this one question go unasked, which is that do you feel like you've changed in the past year? <laughs> yes. Well, I think I've always called myself, like you said, that your husband is uh, socially liberal, fiscally conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, like, I am, I, I am I'm probably socially conservative. It's always just been a question to me of whether or not I feel the government needs to legislate mm-hmm. my social conservatism. Mm-hmm. So I guess I would say I'm socially conservative, but um, in terms of governance, I'm more libertarian. Uh, but where I have changed a lot is how I interact with partisanship and with disagreement and with compassion and empathy. And I've been t- I've been sort of toying with that for years, talking about how the right treats optics and how they act towards people, and then are surprised they won't vote for them. You know, after Romney, I said, "What do you think you're going to tell half the country they're lazy pieces of crap, and then fly into their really poor area and tell them they're not paying enough taxes? Who's going to vote for that?" You know, so I- I've been toying with that for years, but now I've reached a point where I, I think that the only way to move forward is to affect the culture and to affect the people in terms of what they expect out of government. And that if we keep trying to fix things at the government level, like, oh, we need to get rid of this guy and add this guy or vote this guy out or recall that guy, like that's not dealing with the real problem. The real problem is that the people voted for these jackasses. and none of that's going to change as long as I'm going toe to toe with you over an issue that you and I will never agree on. Like if we would never agree on abortion, why are you and I having this argument every day instead of talking about the things we do agree on and seeing what can happen? Mm. So I've changed in that way. Cause I used to be very like, you know, no compromise. And, and I'm just not that way anymore. And it might be just, a, can I'm, I, I'm getting old. Can I ask you a specific you question? Know? Cause, um, I know with other people who uh, went through a personal self-examination uh, after Trump's rise, uh, mm-hmm. I won't name names, but my husband, uh, 
Like he's, but it rhymes with my husband. Rhymes with my husband. Um, he hasn't listened to every episode, so sometimes like I, 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 I get feel like I get to talk about to him about him, but uh, it's always a gamble. Like sometimes it's going to come back to bite me. Um, not that he minds. It's just I, I have to be careful to represent his views. But I think I'm going to be accurate here. Like he's reconsidered some of his fiscal views. Um. I don't know how far I can't say like how far he's moved or if he's moved at all. But like he's definitely willing to talk to me about, you know, issues around taxes and health care in a way that he wasn't before. I I think that there are I don't know that we would have the same specific issues, but there are some like, for instance. um, I had to take a long, hard look at abortion. Mm-hmm. Not the existence of abortion and whether or not I'm okay, whether or not I'm okay with it, but rather if there's half the country that thinks one thing and half the country that thinks another, and both sides are hoping to achieve certain things, what can we achieve together despite disagreement? And the first thing that I thought of, which really enraged a lot of people on my side, I said, uh, I'm totally at this point for absolutely, completely government-funded birth control. Oh, wow. And wow. I, I, when people challenged me on it, I was like, that will reduce abortions. Well, I mean, that was my point to them was it was like, you know, you say that life is the most important thing. That's what you say. But then what? Fiscal issues are suddenly more important at that moment. Like, let's say it's 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 a bad thing, economically speaking, but we can live with it. But it's bad economically. OK, let's say the right's bad or excuse me, the right is correct that it's bad economically. I don't care. Mm. I really don't care anymore. I still want it. Um, there's the value because like your value is reducing what? the number of abortions, which is, by the way, like, again, like this is something you and I can agree on. Like, I, I think what's going to ha- the tragedy of the pro uh, life right right now is that they are going to see an increase in the number of abortions because of what they're doing. Yes. Well, I, and this, you know, I know that there's a lot of talk about smug liberalism. Like, I, I know you've seen all the articles talking about, like, usually from liberals right. talking about smuggling. Yeah, it's whole, I've, yeah, yes, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and this will sound, I will almost sound like a, like the, the typical smug liberal when I say this, but I have started saying this to people, and it does upset them when I say it, but they'll tell me, well, I'm sorry, but I'm not willing to, I'm not willing to give any ground on this issue. And I say to them, I say, well, let me just ask you, in the course of your life, if you were to compare the amount of time that you've spent picketing abortion versus the amount of time that you've spent counseling an expectant mother, mm. where have you spent most of your time? Mm. And they don't like that question because the fact is, I, uh, I think I probably was, I, I was a little better about actually talking to people than some of my friends were, but it just occurred to me that if the extent of your counsel to someone who is considering an abortion is that you're a murderer, what have you achieved and how have you persuaded them in any way, shape, or form? How have you helped them? How have you made the world better? Um, how have you contributed to abortions going down? You haven't done any of those things. Uh, All you've done is fight. On this show, I I just think it's time to rethink that, which doesn't mean I have to change my views. In fact, I've argued that if I changed my views, uh, specifically 
because of Trump, then my views were the ones that were malleable. I haven't changed my views. I have changed the vehicle under which I think that my views might get a bigger audience and make more sense to people and stop being sullied by these shitheads. And also, I think you've changed the way that um, I, I would actually give you even more credit about rather not about your views. I think what you're thinking about is outcomes and what what yes. your values are. And like mm -hmm. if your value is you want women to have fewer abortions, for instance, yes, then everything else needs to flow from that. Right. And be oh, yeah. information driven. Yeah, and also you will find allies. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. You will and, find and, if and, your value is I wanna I wanna I wanna create a world, you know, where there are fewer abortions, like I'm gonna stay away from like the language around it. Um I, I we we don't have to because we're never gonna agree about that, right? No, of course not. But but as long as the country, you know, is the the thing is and I've said this to people too, they're like, I'm not gonna stop fighting. I'm like, okay, let's say tomorrow like, you know, they suspend all um, legislative filibusters and the Senate and the Congress passes a bill that completely bans abortion 100 percent and the president signs it into law and the courts uphold it. What do you think happens? Yeah. What do you think happens really? Yeah. Because what I think happens is basically civil war. <laughs> and oh, so, I think women you know, die. That's what I think. Well, and so my issue is. If you really believe, whether you're on the on the pro-choice side of it or the pro-life side of it, like whichever side of it you're on, if you really believe in all of your heart that you're right, then why does only 50% of the country agree with you? You're not making your case. Go make your case because you can't just change everything with, with only half of the country behind you. It just doesn't work on something this fundamental. And it has to be on this show. Uh, I talk a lot about uh, the program of attraction, not promotion, as a, the kind of evangelism that works for me and that I think mm -hmm. works best in general. And I think pro-life conservatives do a terrible job of, of that particular kind of evangelism. Um, uh, yeah. They, they <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean – when your when your core argument, when the core argument, regardless of whether or not, like you know, obviously you and I disagree on the language I'm about to use, but when your core argument is that you're talking about a human life, and by and large you're the demon mm -hmm. in the argument, you've given a really bad case for what you're saying. You know, you, you people should at least, in my opinion, and this is one of the things that I've written about. People should at least be able to get to the point where they can disagree on something and understand where the other person is coming from. And we don't do that. You know, I've said to people on the right before I've been I've said, uh, you know, you would be up in arms about your autonomy in any other scenario. Mm -hmm. You would be losing your mind if the government was saying you couldn't do X, Y or Z with the doctor. You can't That's get erection, erectile dysfunction pills. You can't. You're not allowed. Like we have to have a doctor right. make sure you can't get a heart on. You have to, the doctor has to be there right. <laughs> to watch yeah, you. You got to have four witnesses. Like you know, and, <laughs> and like they would lose their minds. And and I'm like, can't you? Even if you think that the underlying things that are instructing their view are wrong, that's fine. But you do understand what they're saying, right? I mean, like, you get it. Y'all disagree on some underlying issues. That's the that's the problem. Is those underlying issues? But you know, to, to claim that somebody who doesn't think the same way about it that you do is a murderer, that doesn't 
help the argument. You should understand where they're coming from. Now, I think the left has that same mm. problem, you know, which is the war on women problem. Well, like, I, I think that that you could disagree. You could think somebody is scientifically a, a boob. That's fine. You're, oh, my gosh. You're so, your scientific understanding is ridiculous and preposterous. OK, that's fine. You can think that but still understand where that motivation is coming from because wanting to protect what you believe is a life is still a, a good thing. And then we can have the actual argument because right now I'm arguing for a life and you're arguing for uh, autonomy and we're not like having the same argument. And of course we're at each other's throats. Well, I think this is actually a, a lovely place to end our conversation because I think we, we agree. Um, and we don't often get to that place on this show. Um, <laughs> Fantastic! I, this went in a direction I did not expect. Um, Fantastic baby murderer, <laughs> woman hater. Um, yeah, see, I was actually see the war on women problem is I think that I I don't disagree about the idea of a war on women, but I think that it's the messaging is weird because there are so many pro life men who just don't think of themselves as hating women, you know, and if you right. say like, that's what you're doing, they're just going to shut their, you're going to sh- shut their ears, the, you know, that's the biggest issue with issues like this is that some of y'all, some of the spokesmen on the left, just like the spokesmen on the right sometimes are, you know, wow, that guy seems like he's been in a clan meeting. You know? <laughs> and then on the left, I think sometimes the issue is, okay, I understand what he's saying, but I just want to punch him so bad, <laughs> you know? And like, it, there's an issue on both <laughs> sides with the spokespeople that get put out there um, just being awful at it. And <laughs> Well, that's why we need to not rely on spokespeople. I mean, that's why we need to actually speak to each other more. I mean, right. Have, and, and, and in terms of the, the politics and the governance, find people that can, can uh, articulate uh, what a movement is looking for. And I think, you know, I, I still want conservatism to succeed, but I no longer want Republicans to. I want them to die a horrible, painful death. Not individually, but <laughs> well, hey, you know what? With the AHCA, you might get that wish. Like lots of. <laughs> well, that's true. I don't think Trumpism is a precondition, pre-existing condition, but uh, it could be. Oh, but there will be plenty of Trump voters that are cut off from health care. So that's another conversation for another time. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, anyway, it was really nice talking to you, Ben. Um, we will have you back, I'm sure. Thanks. Okay, sounds good. Thanks for having me. And thanks to Ben Howe uh, for being on the show. You can follow him on Twitter at, at Ben Howe, B-E-N-H-O-W-E. You're listening to With Friends Like These with Anna Marie Cox. I travel a lot for business uh, and you know, have to do a lot of the booking myself because here at Crooked Media, we're not totally together as a company yet. And I have found the best way to buy business travel. It is Upside.com. And if you're not a business traveler, you may know someone is, so you have to tell them about Upside. Here is why I love it. At Upside, you save money on travel, and you get a free Amazon gift card worth hundreds of dollars every time you get savings and a big gift card for free. And here's how they do it. Upside bundles your flights and hotel together for one low price. Bundling saves a ton of money, especially on business travel, because you know what? You're always going to need a hotel when traveling for business because you're not traveling for fun. You're not visiting. You're going to a hotel. Your company saved money, and you still keep all your miles. And right now, when you use the code FRIENDS, my code FRIENDS, you're guaranteed a $100 Amazon gift card for your first time. That's my code FRIENDS and a $100 Amazon gift card. How can you not do it? 
Upside. Save big on travel and get a big gift card every time. That's Upside.com. There is a minimum purchase required. And see site for complete details. Next up is Brandy Jensen. She is an author of sorts. Actually, she said the only thing she's ever really written uh, as a review is the thing we're going to talk about, which is her review for Broadly on Vice.com of Ivanka's new book. It is the talk of the town these days. Welcome to the show, Brandy Jensen. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I, I am excited as well. I, I absolutely loved this piece you wrote for Broadly, uh, Vice Magazine's uh, uh, f- feminist vertical. I don't know what to call it, like the lady vertical. Um, yeah, I mean, they're they're sort of branded as the, the feminist vertical, I believe. Yeah. They're, yeah. Well, that's what sounds so deliciously Freudian, don't you think? <laughs> the lady vertical. Yes. I'm not jealous of anything. I have my own vertical. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not like the other verticals. <laughs> but well, I wanted, what I wanted to talk to you about, because it was, it's the first piece I read about Ivanka's book, Women Who Work, that mm. brought up a very a, a something that's been nagging it. I, I probably other people as well for a long time, which is, you know, why the fuck do we have such a problem calling Ivanka a feminist? Like, why is that an argument? Right. Like, why can't we just say, no, she's not. And I'm going to quote you to you for the listeners. Okay. While the question itself is boring, the fact that we seem unable to say unequivocally no and move on is interesting because it reveals something about the state of mainstream feminism itself. The reason Trump has proven so confounding for many feminist writers is that they have a hard time admitting what she is, a conservative woman practicing liberal feminism. Boom. Um, I just think I, I hadn't had anyone else, seen anyone else uh, state it quite so boldly and baldly, which is that the problem with Ivanka is that she's, it's not that she's not a feminist. It's not that she's problematic. It's that she is exactly what mainstream neoliberal feminism has produced. She is the yeah, logical I mean, end result. The end point of what, to my mind, has long been this kind of, you know, metastasizing feminist discourse, right? And, and it, we end up in really weird places where we are right now, where we have to talk about, you know, is Ivanka a feminist? Is Kellyanne Conway a feminist? Can you be a pro-life feminist? You know, we're asking all these, what to my mind are, are sort of deeply strange questions because, you know, we've allowed the definition of feminism to become, you know, sort of blurry to the point of, of meaning nothing. Yeah. Hashtag feminism, right? It's like Instagram yeah. feminism. And and also, I mean, I want to put a provocative question out there, which is that, you know, Ivanka is like the next iteration of Hillary in a way. Like, Yeah. I mean, you've, you know, I didn't really want to make that argument in the piece because I didn't want to deal with <laughs> you didn't want the trolls coming after you because you didn't want the um, Hillary people coming after you okay that's fine no one listens to podcasts so like it'd be, I mean be fine. well here's the thing I think I think it's undoubtedly true that like they exist on the same spectrum um that if if you're going to sort of center your feminism around notions of success and ambition um you know you you will eventually end up with somebody like Ivanka mm-hmm so I have this. I have a problematic relationship with Hillary. I guess like every other modern feminist should. Yeah, as uh, do I. I mean, I was. Uh, uh, I've I've been called a brocialist many times, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, probably true. I mean, but I've always felt I, like you yeah. know my feminism makes itself heard about Hillary because I cannot let go of the fact that she is where she is because of her husband. You know, like 
that bothers me. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There was something, it bothers me, the idea that, um, you know, you were never allowed to be critical precisely because she's a woman. Mm-hmm. You know, we get, we get into weird places with feminism when, you know, if Margaret Thatcher was a terrible woman who had a great deal of power, right? But we're allowed to say she's a terrible woman. It's not anti-feminist to say that, you know, Margaret Thatcher, Margaret Thatcher was a cunt. Um, it's not anti-feminist to say that, you know, there are some instances in which, you know, Hillary had some problematic policy goals. Um, certainly if you are, you know, if you are a queer person, you're allowed to, to question um, her rather late commitment to gay marriage, right? And so... And if you care about criminal justice reform, you should be allowed to question her commitment to that. I mean, she seems genuine thus far. It also feels like she, you know, when I say that Ivanka is the next iteration of, 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 of the logic of Hillary's feminism, it's because we allow success and power to, and, and femininity or you know, femaleness to be the definition of feminism. Like if you are successful yeah. and powerful and you are a woman, then you must be a feminist. Yeah, I mean that's that's precisely it. It's this, you know, and I mean there are there are some selfish reasons why I'm, you know, particularly suspicious of this approach, precisely because I'm like I'm a deeply lazy woman, <laughs> and so this idea of fetishizing uh, power and ambition to me has always, uh, you know, it's not something that I that I relate to on a personal level, but also I mean there are always going to be ways in which powerful women are complicit, right? You you don't come out clean mm-hmm. in in these systems, especially, you know, in a capitalist system. So, you know, this idea that, you know, gender parity in the boardroom is somehow a pressing feminist goal, to my mind, seems completely insane. Like these, you know, if you think that that rich, powerful women aren't going to pull up the ladder, I mean, that completely ignores the entire history of rich people and powerful people staying rich and powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. And I think it's we we really needed to do via Ivanka is not question Ivanka's commitment, which would you say like in, in that actually becomes the only way that people criticize her, right? Is that she's a hypocrite or that she doesn't mean it. Yeah. So we get, we get into this weird place where we have to, you know, sort of search the, the hearts of individual women and, you know, Oh, does she really mean it? Or is she just saying it? And to my mind, I think it's, you know, much easier and also more accurate to say, it doesn't matter if she means what she says, because what she's saying is bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and it's sort of a funny thing that this book has like, you know, as I think you point out, sort of collapsed the metaphor about her because so much of what she says in the book is like kind of literally meaningless. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, I mean, I don't the, know how the, you have literally meaningless. Other, I don't know what literally meaningless really means. Bullshit. but It's like it's a it's a TED talk, essentially, in, in prose form, if you want to call it prose. Um <laughs> The rest of it, the part that, you know, ostensibly is her, um, you know, it's like, it's like if MasterCard wrote a memoir. I mean, it's just, you know, the weird ramblings of a brand. Right. I mean, I mean, there's some great, um, I, I, some other great reviews of it have come out. Catherine Miller at BuzzFeed wrote one where <laughs> she talked about, I guess, one term that somehow escaped uh, mentioned in your column, self-purchasing, like women as self-purchasers, which, of course, sounds like 
fucking slavery. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, I, the, you know, like, what does the, that mean? The lack of any sort of self-awareness is stunning. And people rightfully, you know, hit on her uh, Toni Morrison quote, which is just, you know, there were there were a couple moments uh, when reading that book that, you know, my jaw hit the floor and I sort of thought like, oh, this bitch is doing it. <laughs> and, yeah, um, the those other... were the only redeeming qualities of, you know, the punishing experience of reading that book was the few moments of going like, oh, shit. <laughs> right. And then the other one that, doesn't get it. that other people have pointed out is when she talks about the westward expansion of the U.S. and how you... She talks about westward <laughs> expansion in a section about staking your claim in the workplace. Uh, and, you know, yeah, she like literally goes into this little history lesson like, hey, did you know that in the course of U.S. history, you could literally go out there and stake your claim, which is, you know... She has there were some other people living on the land, but you know what? Like <laughs> there was as though there were no one else. There was no one else actually occupying yeah. the land first, right? Like that's yeah, the, literally. <laughs> I mean, I think you know, I I summed it up as manifest your destiny, bitches. <laughs> that's that's essentially it. So, I mean, I think you know, you've raised the right question of of whether or not we should we shouldn't be questioning Obama. We should be questioning her message and the message of neoliberal feminism in general. But I want to. Uh, pose to you a question that my first guest made or a, a problem or a situation he put forward, which is that he was like, hey, I mean, he's a conservative person, never Trump conservative person. And we were talking about what advice does the right have to the left as far as like this being our Tea Party movement, our Tea Party moment. Uh, and one of the things he said is that you guys should be basically you guys should be nicer to Ivanka because she's your only hope. <laughs> uh, uh, bullshit. <laughs> Now, for what's worth, I also I said something not as pithy, but I, I said some somewhat to the same. But let's discuss that. Let's say why that's bullshit. That we should be nicer to Ivanka. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think the idea that she is somehow, you know, like working behind the scenes to push a progressive agenda is is just insane. There's like there's no there's no proof of that. Um, and even if there were, you know, it's not it's not going to work. Um, the idea that we should be pinning our hopes to Ivanka Trump to like somehow temper her insane authoritarian father's worst instincts, uh, to my mind, is just you know it's it's stupid. Um, and I also <laughs> I, I I deeply resent that a lot of the like go easy on Ivanka messaging is coming from men. Mm. It's, you know, I mean, I'm sorry that, you know, Chris Eliza is horny for the blonde lady, but, um, you know, this idea that we need to be, that we need to be nice to other women, you know, this, this, this is also sort of a weird manifestation of this, the Hillary, my mind, you know, stuff. wrong notion of feminism is that, is that it requires you to support women unequivocally, mm. um, and no, absolutely not. I reject that entirely. Ivanka Trump is, uh, she's a cancer <laughs> on our nation and I'm not going to be nice to her. What I, what I find problematic about the idea that we should be nice to her, number one, there's no we actually, you know, like there, there, yeah. there isn't really a we to, to say be nice to, cause you know what? The fucking mainstream media is pretty nice to her. The crystallizes of, yeah, of the precisely. world. Precisely. I mean, it, people have not been going in on her particularly hard, um, at all. Like I said, you know, you, you only need to look at the, you know, the sort of media guys that are 
that are carrying water for her. Right. And because she's hot. And all then the defense like, but you know, she has to be loyal to her dad. No, you don't, actually. Um <laughs> like that's not you can love someone from afar, number one. Um Yeah, I mean I'm sorry if I mean I I love uh and respect many members of my family and <laughs> if I thought that, you know if if any of them behaved in ways even approaching the ways that Donald Trump behaves, I would I would get them professional help. I certainly <laughs> wouldn't encourage them to run for president of the United States. And if they were elected, like I love my father in law. Sometimes he listens to the show. Hi, Bill. Um, but if Bill was president of the United States, I wouldn't work for him. Like I, I that's no. just not you know. I mean, I don't think I would be doing better, more good from the inside. So there's there's the problem of the, the there isn't a we to be nice to Ivanka. There's no like feminist. Well, that, that idea of doing good from the inside too sort of folds into this notion of neoliberal feminism that you know we can change um, corporate culture from the inside, even though it's you know structurally unjust, right? That that feminism is something that we can you know. We can be complicit with these structures of power that oppress us and somehow change them from the inside. Like, that's not that's not actually how power functions. No, we are changed by power. I mean, and that's... Yes. And that's actually... We just end up, like, recapitulating these same structures. We don't actually do anything to... Right. To resist them. And that's one of the reasons why I, this, this is ludicrous, the idea that, you know, we should be nicer to Ivanka. First of all, there's the no we... And second of yeah. all, there's the people are already pretty, pretty fucking nice to her. And then the third thing is, uh, I think that if the contest is who's going to if, if Vanka is going to be swayed by whoever's nicest to her, she's not an ally worth having. Um, oh, yeah. It, you know, and, and I don't think the left can suck her off nearly as well as the right can. I think that she's going to find a, herself pleasured plenty um, by the right. And she will move that way you know yeah like and i mean i just to I the extent she can't move we don't really know what her values are so you know yeah. whatever i don't i don't think she has any value like i i really doubt that ivanka trump has any deeply held ideological commitments she doesn't you know i just i don't i don't get the sense that she's that sort of person i think she you know she probably wants to be like um she probably wants to be, you know, written about nicely. Um, and fuck her. She shouldn't get what she wants. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not why you, that's, you know, hopefully not why you get into the business of government, which she didn't even really decide to get into. That's another sort of problem with this, no, which is the, that. That's actually the, that's one of the funny things about reading the book is, you know, she has this sort of hastily thrown together preface about how she was writing it um, before the election results. And you get the sense that she she in no way thought that her dad was going to win. Mm. You know, she has this whole thing set up, particularly, you know, there's the, there's the end bit where she does this, you know, gesture towards paid leave policies. And she talks about how we're going to have to continue fighting for them uh, in, a, in a way that, you know, you you get the sense that she means fighting a Hillary administration. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I've also seen this argument that, you know, oh, she didn't, you know, she didn't want this life. She was sort of, like, pulled into it. Like, no, bitch, you can say no. <laughs> <laughs> you, could have, you could have continued selling your, you know, tacky wardrobe, but, you know, whoever would still agree to carry it. Um, you didn't, you know, she didn't get pulled into this. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, know, this is she, a choice. She has, she has, she gets to make decisions. <laughs> 
I want to name check another really great review of the book um, by Lori Penny in The Baffler, um, where she she talks a lot about something you mentioned and I want to just hit on before we have to wrap up, which is the idea of work as an ideology, the the, the idea of work um, as a defining characteristic of of neoliberal feminism, the idea that you have to work hard, that, that things are a reward yes. for work. Um, and there is this weird fetishization of that in our current, you know, culture. I mean, I guess it's actually hap- – it's part of the American – it's the Protestant work ethic. What am I saying? It's like not new, yeah. you know? I mean, this, this is um, – yeah, fetishizing success is, you know, one of the more deeply held American traditions. And hustling um, and, like, you know, the idea that, like, we're here burning the midnight oil. Like, there's, you know – all this kind of the you know work is the new play or whatever. I lived through the '90s. Like this was part of the bullshit that we, we had to put up with in Silicon Valley. But I just want to quote one sentence from Laurie Penny here that I really love, which is she describes uh, the book as it's feminism for people who've been conned into believing that existing in a state of permanent sleep deprivation is the same as being woke. <laughs> yeah. That's a good sentence. That's a good sentence. And I think it's just really true. And that's something that that's sort of where, to the extent that if we take this a little bit out of politics and talk more about Ivanka and her ilk and their influence on broader culture, um, we could still have, I think, a very edifying discussion of this book if she wasn't the functional first lady. And it, the, But that discussion would probably be centered around this idea that work will set you free, right? Like that's, that's yeah, actually I mean, the and problem. That, that's part of it that, you know, like I said, she's sort of, People understand that she's the wrong messenger, but what she's saying is a message that that we are, you know, willing to hear from other people. I mean, you you know, Netflix has that girl boss show Mm -hmm. um, that recently came out and you've got, you know, the the idea of a CEO, which uh, is a term that just gives me hives. And apparently the person (laughs) that came up with that was a sexual abuser of sorts. Like that's a woman who humiliated, sexually humiliated the people that worked for her at Thinks, oh, the yeah, Candy's that, company. That Thinks lady is wild. That entire story was wild. Yeah. And she was being a sexual abuser in the sense that she just used sexuality to humiliate the people that worked for her. You know? Yeah. And again, precisely, you know, this idea that um, powerful women should, you know, are, are necessarily going to be good because they're women. Mm-hmm. Not true. Not true. Yeah, well, it, cl- yeah, clearly false. <laughs> it reminds me. So I did an interview with the woman that started the skim. Um, you know what that is? It's like the kind of um, the creeping digestation of everything. It's a news digest that's written in the voice of like a millennial woman. And it's, it was started by two millennial <laughs> okay. women. And there's lots of like what you can say at the cocktail party and what to say when people ask you about Syria. You know, like everything oh is written in like upspeak, I swear. Like it's not all terrible. Like some of it is is some there's some decent explainership and analysis. Yeah. But I asked them about the tone of this newsletter, which is really upspeaky, like if that's possible in a newsletter, you know. Yeah. I, which I do, too. I think I just did it there. So it's fine. But like I asked them, like, do you think being so heavily targeted at women and using this kind of trivializing tone where you make jokes about wine and Netflix and um, they, you know, not being able to stick with a spin class for the entire, you know, session. Like, do you, do you worry about that trivializing women, you know, or, or yeah. uh, somehow diminishing young women by making it seem like this is, these are their values. Well, there's something infantilizing about it. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So I asked them about it and they're like, but we're women. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we really do 
We we really have. They um, might be. They wanted to be a sponsor of the show, so I've got, I've got to be careful. They, I, so I guess I can kiss that goodbye. But you know, capitalism <laughs> capitalism sucks. So. Um, yeah, I mean this this idea that uh, women can't be a, you know an incredibly corrosive force for other women. Like, of of course we can. <laughs> yes, we can. <laughs> yes, we can. Nevertheless, <laughs> he persisted. Other women. <laughs> oh, um, I <laughs> unfortunately like you know. I I said this to Tom Frank when he was on the show, which is that um, I've thought about getting the nevertheless she persisted um, as a tattoo, which um, is a thing that some women have done. Yeah, I've seen a few people get them as a tattoo. Um, I mean, uh, that's a choice that you can make. Yeah. I just have a hard time putting Mitch McConnell's words on my body. Well, like, that's, that's... My, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. Anything that came out of that, like, fucking turtle mouth is not something that I'm going to carry on my body for the rest of my life. Yeah, I'm going to have to, I'm going to wait for the next, the next great slogan. Although I, I do like that one, but, you know, I got the t-shirt. Hashtag, hashtag feminism t-shirt. Hashtag resistance. But, I mean, that's, that's a great example of just how quickly this economy works is mm. that, you know, within two days, it was a t-shirt. It was... It was some sort of outward signaling of an ideology that you can buy, and you know you. They're self purchasing. I'm. You you can't if there's if they're selling something they're not feminine, you know. Okay, well, you're never going to buy your way out of the patriarchy. You're just okay, not. that's two different ideas. If they're selling something they're not feminist is one thing, which I disagree with, and then there's you can't buy yourself out of the patriarchy, which I do agree with. Um, but I also, you know, I got to have Tom on again just to talk about his original, you know, thesis, which was the commercialization of dissent. And when we do try to buy our way out of feminism, like that, it does it is, you know, capitalism is corrosive to truly radical ideas. That is true. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we're we're clearly seeing the tide turning against um, consumer feminism, mm-hmm. right? Like you've got, you know, a Gia. Tolentino last year wrote that great takedown of empowerment feminism, um, and I think you you know you can see you can see people starting to to be more aware that you know consumerism or like market feminism is a problem. And I think the next step is really interrogating how like capitalist feminism is a problem. Um, that that so, is yes that remains the next step. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's going to be that's going to be the harder one because you know obviously it is this incredibly um entrenched power structure and and something um, we Americans are not ready to think about. I mean really. I mean I, I wish we were, but I it would it would be nice. I mean you're definitely uh, you know most of most of my uh, friends and people in my life uh, exist pretty far on the left. Um, and I think you are starting to get some recognition that that is, you know, not a completely untenable position. Um, you know, you're, you're starting to get more support behind, it, you know, Medicare for all and fight for 15. And, you know, to my mind, like, these are the pressing feminist issues is, is figuring out how to, like, improve the material conditions of women's lives. And so less, you know, less focusing on, like I said, gender parity in the boardroom, less focusing on strength and more focusing on, on vulnerability, on, on vulnerable women. But, you know, we need, these are, these are the women that we need to be worried about protecting in this oppressive system, not cheering on the ones who made it to the top. 
On that note, can I, I, I would like to recommend that you use sponsor books to send flowers um, this Mother's Day. Uh, <laughs> you can use code FRIENDS and get 20% off your Mother's Day purchase. And I'm not even kidding. Um, okay, you just send, are, send flowers to your mom. Absolutely. That's yeah. a good reminder that I should too. All right. Um, uh, uh, capital, uh, you know, property is theft. Uh, and on that yes. note, um, uh, Brandy Jensen, it was great to talk to you. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And thanks, as usual, for making it to the end of the show. If you enjoyed yourself, please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And you can give us feedback as well. Uh, there is an email for the show that is with friends like pod at gmail.com and a Twitter, which is at crooked underscore friends. The folks on the show have Twitters as well. Brandy Jensen is at Brandy with a Y L Jensen. That is at B R A N D Y L J E N S E N. And Ben Howe is at Ben Howe, B E N H O W E. You can also follow me on Twitter if you like. I am at Anna Marie Cox. And we are going to be doing a roundup of sorts of listener questions uh, in the next uh, couple weeks. So please, if you have a issue involving relationships and politics or a difficult conversation that you want to have or have had or can't seem to bring yourself to have, please email that uh, problem to the show. You can also include it as a voice memo if you like or just write it out and I'll be in touch with you. And of course, if you're listening to this, you should also listen to every other podcast on the Crooked Media umbrella, of which there are many now. There is uh, Love It or Leave It, there's Pod Save America, Pod Save the World, and Pod Save the People, the newest broadcast from Dre McKesson. And I think you now have, you got a Crooked Media every day of the week, my friend. So there's no excuse to go without your Crooked Media. You will have this Crooked Media production back next Friday. Thanks for listening. Ask Sherwin-Williams during the March-Spring sale, March 15th through the 25th, and get 35% off paints and stains with prices starting at $28.92. That means 35% off our most popular color family, blue. Psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And, of course, get 35% off all of our other colors. Stop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.